Okay, before we jump into today's show, I have something really important that I want to talk to you about. I'm working on this a really kind of a top secret project, something that I'm really passionate about that I think is going to help a lot of people. And I wanted to see if I could get your help. Now, I'm not going to talk about exactly what this project is, but let's just say it's specifically designed for people who do not yet have a real estate business. They wanna be in real estate. They love the idea of starting a wholesaling or a flipping or a buy and hold kind of a business. They've been listening to my podcasts or other podcasts and they really wanna get started, but there's something holding them back. There's something that's keeping them from doing it. Could be their own self-doubt. It could be friends and family telling them they're crazy. It could be as simple as they just don't have a plan. They don't know where to start. They don't even know what to do first. Like, how do I start this journey? I want to help with that. And by you reaching out to me and telling me that's who you are, that you're that person who wants a real estate investing company, whether it be a side hustle or you want to do this full time, you want it to be your main thing. Either way, if you haven't gotten started and something's holding you back, I don't care what it is. Could be, like I said, you, could be your family, could be your spouse, could be just lack of knowledge. Like you just don't know what to do first. You don't know how to start. Or maybe you don't even know what it is you want to do in real estate. You don't know if you want to flip. You don't know if you want to be a wholesaler. You don't know if you want to buy rentals. If you fall into any of those categories and you want my help with it, I am offering that to you right now. All you have to do is go to mike at juststartrealestate.com and put in the subject line, help, and I will reach out to you. I don't care if you've never done anything before. If you're completely green and you don't have a clue as to where to get started, that's the person that I'm looking for. And maybe you do know what you want to do. Maybe you know exactly what you want to do in real estate, but still something's holding you back. You have some fear or something. I want to help you get unstuck. So please take advantage of this opportunity. Reach out to me. Email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Subject line help and I will get right back to you. We'll set up a time. We'll hop on a call and we'll chat. I want to help you get unstuck so you can move forward and realize your dream of having a real estate investing company. So reach out to me, use that email address, subject line help. I can't wait to hear from you. All right, guys, let's dive into the show. I wanted to write a book that nobody would let anybody borrow. Yeah. I wanted everybody to have to buy their own. So like when, once you put your name in this book, you are never going to let somebody borrow it because it's almost like your diary. It's, it's you, yeah. like this is your book. Yeah. Your information starts to get into this book and you fall in love with it, it becomes yeah. your guide. And I wrote it in the mindset, I don't want anybody ever to give this book away. I want people to have this book and you know, like Think and Grow Rich. I wanted to write the new Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me on the show today. I'm pretty biased, I admit, this is my show and I really love the guests that I have on, but I've got a special one for you today. I've got such an incredibly motivational guy with a motivational message and a background that did not make things easy for himself. He is an internationally acclaimed talk show host, number one best-selling author and motivational speaker. He has a charismatic nature that inspires everyone from inner city youth 
to corporate moguls and celebrities. He is, like I said, an author. He wrote a book, his best-selling number one book that he wrote was From the Hood to Doing Good, and he's just released his new book, Building a Millionaire Mindset, How to Use the Pillars of Entrepreneurship to Gain, Maintain, and Sustain long-lasting wealth. Guys, he is a rags-to-riches story, a really great interview, and a very inspirational guy, and I'm excited to have him on the show. His name is Johnny Wimbry, and we had a great conversation, talked about a lot of stuff, and covered a lot of topics that I think is going to really hit home with a lot of you. I know it did with me, and I think it's a great message and a great uh, set of uh, topics and strategies and stuff that he talks about that makes a difference in people's lives and turns people into these wannabe success stories to full-fledged success stories and living the life that they want. So guys, without any further ado, I give you Johnny Wimbry. All right. Hey, Johnny, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you agreeing to this. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, Mike. I appreciate you having me, man. I am ready to go, brother. <laughs> awesome. Well, like we talked about before we hopped on the mics live here, uh, you are the author of a new book called Building a Millionaire Mindset. I have I have Sir. the book. I am, I'll be perfectly honest. I am in the middle of reading it. Uh, <laughs> winning, I'm winning, it. winning. Look at that. I know. I love it, man. It's great. It's it's a great book. I love, I, I, as soon as I knew you were going to be on the show, I ordered it, got it, started reading it. Thank you. So I, I'm I'm psyched about it, man. Um, and it's Very good cool. stuff. So far, it's just amazing, and I want to get into that really deeply. But before we do, let's just kind of give people a little bit of uh, background on who you are, so they can kind of identify with who we're talking to a little bit deeper. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Johnny Wimbry. I'm from the Dallas Fort Worth area. I, I speak literally all over the world, from stages in Singapore to South Africa to. Um, Australia, Czech Republic, London, Jerusalem, Israel. I mean, literally just all over the world. And, and, and uh, the kind of audiences that I attract more so than anything else are those, what I would call wealth enthusiasts. And it's kind of a, a, a self-induced um, definition, if you will. It's those who are excited about being wealthy. And I believe that wealth begins from within, who you are from the inside out. Yeah. You know, when I wrote this book, Building a Millionaire Mindset, um, you learn a lot about me. You learn a lot about my past. You learn about, uh, you learn a lot about the obstacles that I had to you know go through in my life. Um, you know, I, my earliest memory life was living in a battered women's shelter, so I was homeless and uh, went through a lot of. Um, you know, I'm a baby boy of three. My mother, you know, we were shipped to San Jose, California, uh, for protection, and that's where I started uh, school. Mm. And um, you know, I, I was raised around gangs and violence and drugs my entire life. I got a brother serving 40 years in prison right now. The only difference is I didn't get caught. You know, uh, made a lot of bad decisions as a youth, had a felony arrest, um, you know, which which probably led me into the real the real realm or the legal realm of entrepreneurialism because, you know, I couldn't get a shot. You know, American Airlines wouldn't hire me. Um, FedEx, uh, UPS, they just wouldn't hire me. They couldn't. They loved me, but they just couldn't hire me because of my past. And, you know, uh, my very first book is actually called From the Hood to Doing Good. Um, <laughs> like and uh, this book right here is probably my number one bestselling book in the world. Uh, this one just released December 1st, uh, hit number one on Amazon the first week out. Super excited about that. But, you know, my story is basically this. Where you come from doesn't have to dictate where you're going. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. You know, we all read about characters, historical characters that we learn from, particularly, you know, in ancient writings. But, you know, nobody wants to be those characters. We want to learn from them, yeah. but nobody wants to be them. I'm one of those characters that uh, I pray to God that nobody has to go through the hell that I went through. Uh, Les Brown's a mentor of mine and Les 
taught me very early on, uh, he's been in my life for about 17 years. He said, Johnny, when things go wrong, you don't go with them. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the manifestation of, you know, you can course correct and, and not only course correct, but, you know, um, building a, you know, a multiple billion dollar um, entity around the world and helping uh, over 40 people tap into a seven figure lifestyle. Um, and that gets me more excited than my own personal story. Yeah, that's amazing. And man, thanks for sharing. It's, it's, I'm sure not super easy. You've done it now for a while, but talking about the background and, and how you grew up and like you said, I mean, you kind of glossed over it, but getting shipped to, uh, I think you said California, maybe San Jose, San Jose yeah. uh, for your protection. Like I know so many people that grew up in a kind of a, at least middle-class good parents, yeah. like good schools. And then they, they, they kind of, you know bitch and moan for lack of a better yeah. way of saying it, that they just know, you know, they don't have a chance. And it's like, are you kidding me? Cause I've <laughs> talked to folks who've had, you know, very tough backgrounds like yours, similar to yours, uh, who are highly successful. And it's just amazing what people can start with and not appreciate how, how much yeah. farther ahead they, they actually started. I, what you just said is literally why I wrote this book. It's the mindset. It's, yeah. it's literally the mindset. If I were to, you know, leave my children millions of dollars, which I plan to, um, you know, mil, you know, multiple millions and assets. I, I plan to do that, but not before they get this. They got to get the mindset first. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not transferring the wealth. I'm, I mean, I'm a first generation millionaire. It, it's my responsibility to make sure that my children are, are second generation millionaires and their yep. children are third generation millionaires. So I literally wrote this book as a roadmap, as if I were talking to my descendants that don't exist yet. You have to have the mindset. I believe that anybody who's a, especially a first generation millionaire, you need this book, not only for you, but for the mindset that you're going to pass on to your kids. So yeah. it's really mindset, bro. I mean, you got middle-class individuals that if they focus on obstacles, they're wondering why am I manifesting more obstacles in my life? It's because you're focused on obstacles. Yeah. As a man, as a woman thinks in their heart, that's who they become. That's what they produce. So, you know, this entire book is really about interrupting the process, interrupting the voices that are in your head yeah. and making the voices stronger that are, that, that, that are, that are in your best interest. We all have voices in our head, you know, call it crazy, call it whatever you want to call it. But the, the, the bottom line is what voice are you going to entertain the most? Yep. Well, that's what you're going to manifest the most. I love it. And and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll tell you what, what, from my experience, what I see, you know, you look at whether it's a great athlete, although athletes sometimes will break this mold, but like a great businessman and you look yeah. at like their kids and you go, wait, how can their kids not be as successful or more a they have the money b they have yeah. access to their dad or mom who was a phenomenal business person like it's because they didn't have to in most cases there was yeah. nothing pushing them right like how do you develop the muscles if you're not forced to lift anything Ooh, that's and, good. and, and now, i listen think, I, I do a whole chapter on that a whole chapter <laughs> i know i know on, you do. On, on, on flexing those new muscles right yeah. yeah yeah um and 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 that is something um that to me is probably the biggest area of my life right now during this decade is flexing new muscles. And the yeah. muscles are mental muscles. You know, how do you walk away from a situation that can literally cause a spiral in your life? And I'm talking about a simple conversation, yeah. you know, arguing with the fool in public. If you argue with the fool in public, <laughs> guess what? The, the, the public will never know which one the fool is. And that's yeah. just exercising a new muscle, yeah. the new muscle of being able to walk away from controversy and acting as if you have something to lose. Yeah. Um, and th these are things that I'm already teaching my kids. Like, uh, 
um, you know, one of the, especially the younger they are, keep it super elementary. We don't use the word try. And if we use the word try, you know, we always self-correct each other. Why? Because I'm not raising try babies. I'm raising do babies. Try has zero value. And when you dive into the book and you start understanding the mindset, even the words that you articulate, and you're not going to be perfect, but at least you're conscious and you can only self-correct when you're conscious. And that's where the mindset comes from. I love it. I, you know, I work with a lot of folks too, mostly in the real estate world, but I work with a lot of folks who, I, what I've realized over time, and, and I gave a, a presentation on this a while back and I, I, I'm, I'm saying it because I want to get your opinion. I, I really want to hear yeah. your perspective. I think a lot of folks think it's the, it's the software, it's the tools, it's the tactics. And, and I, the, the, uh, the analogy that I made was, that saying, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, give, teach yeah. him to fish. I think people want to be given fish. They think that's the key. Yeah. And it's in, and when you give someone a, a fish, you're giving them software, you're giving them the specific tactic or strategy to kind of help them in their business. But that do, all that means is they need to come back to you for the next thing to help them get to the next yeah. level. You're not giving them the mindset, to your point, right. that they need to be successful. A successful mindset will always beat the latest and greatest tool that will mm -hmm. help you be successful. I mean, you think about it, if I, if I put a million dollars into the hands of a, of, of a random individual who really, really desires to be a millionaire, people think that wanting to be successful makes you unique. You're not unique because you want to be successful. <laughs> yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to be successful at something. So just because you want to be financially successful, that doesn't make you unique. It makes you human. What you don't want is for someone just to hand you success. Yeah. Because that the exact same individual that you hand something to, they're going to, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an ancient writing. You know, you don't cast your pearls among swine. And what that basically means is if I have, you know, this valuable good, I wish I was wearing my watch, I'm not wearing it. But if I have this value and, you know, you see the value, it's a $20,000 Rolex and you can see the value because you recognize, you know, the brand. If I hand you that value and you have the mindset of a pig, swine, you're never going to understand the value. So I see so many individuals moving value into the hands of people who don't know how to be responsible for it. Yeah. And it would be my responsibility. It would be my fault if I raised, you know, million dollar fools. That would be on me yeah. because the principles, my favorite book says a good man will leave an inheritance for his children's children. Well, people hear the word inheritance and they automatically think money. No, yeah. it's principles. Yeah. I leave the principles to manage the money. You know, money is one ingredient to success. Yep. It's like a chocolate cake. If I say chocolate cake, Mike, I'm saying sugar, but I'm not saying sugar. I'm just saying chocolate cake. Yeah. If I say wealth and success, I am saying money, but I'm not just saying money. Yeah. So you've got to build that mindset. The mindset to be able to, you know, the subtitle of the book is how to, how, how to use the pillars of entrepreneurialism to gain, maintain, and sustain generational wealth or long lasting wealth. It's really about how do I tee my, tee my kids up, that next generation to take it to another level, a higher level. That's my responsibility. Yeah, I, I love that. I always say, I always tell people, one of the worst things you can do to somebody is give them something that they didn't earn or have no idea what to do with it. That That is like the biggest recipe for failure, right? People, yeah. people who don't earn something don't really appreciate it and don't know what to do. So in your book, let's get back to the book real quick. So yeah. you have pillars. Every chapter is like a pillar, right? Yeah. Um, one of them here, the first one, participating in your own rescue. What does that mean, participating in your own rescue? That was, I've read it, but that was intriguing to me. Yeah, that, that, that's really big for me. It's really big for me because, you know, uh, I, I'll give you a story. I tell the story in the book, but I'll give you kind of an example. 
Um, when I was 20 years old, I was a temporary licensed insurance agent. And I became a licensed insurance agent because I couldn't get a regular job. And I became a temporary licensed insurance agent because I didn't, they, I didn't have to, uh, you know, submit anything to the state of Texas to be temporary. Yeah. Just get 90 day trial to see if this is something that you like. Well, yeah. within those 90 days, I became one of the top 50 producers in the United States. Youngest, definitely only a minority to, 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 to rise to the top the way that I did. So I wanted to, I wanted to continue to pursue this industry. So I went in to take my test in the state of Texas. I failed the first time, um, failed the second time. And then the third time, and it's a computer. So once you hit enter, boom, it pops up. Yeah. There's no delay. There's no like, <laughs> hey, get ready for this. Boom. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it's the first test I've ever failed, um, at, you know, I would say from like maybe 14 years old and on that I actually studied for. Yeah. Um, and so I just remembered four extra questions to take the, when, I did, when I took the test on dental because that's where I was uh, not passing. So anyway, took the test. Boom. I passed it. I submit my paperwork to the state of Texas. I sent it in an envelope. About a week, maybe 12 days later, an envelope comes back from the state of Texas, Texas Department of Insurance, and it says, we regret to inform you. My license was supposed to be in this letter. Yeah. We regret to inform you because you have a felony arrest. You can't represent the state of Texas mm-hmm. as an insurance agent. So I had, to, I had to make a decision. You know, the old Johnny, the pissed off Johnny wanted to say, you know, screw the system. Yeah. You know what? I changed my life around. And, you know, if you do a backtrack of my story at my homeboy's funeral, when I was a junior in high school, I gave my gun to the preacher because my homeboy who was murdered mother stood right in front of the casket and said, I forgive the young man who killed my son. I was going to retaliate that night. Me and my homies were going to retaliate after we respect, after we paid respect. So here I am. I changed my life around. I get my gun to a preacher. I start really building myself, personal development, spiritually, emotionally, just building myself, right? And here I am, you know, doing it the right way. And the state of Texas says no. And it was, I was pissed off. But again, like I talk about in my book, being pissed off doesn't make you unique. Everybody gets pissed off. I wanted it to piss me on. So it turned something on inside me. And I literally called the courthouse where I got the felony arrest. And this may be like a year later, maybe two years later. And I just said, do you, do you think the judge would write a letter on my behalf to the state of Texas just saying, give them another chance? And it was the exact same judge that sentenced my brother to 40 years. Mm. And I don't know why he did it, but he wrote a letter. Wow. He wrote the letter to the state of Texas. Now, the state of Texas is very hard. He didn't have to listen to the judge. Right. No apology letter, nothing, no acknowledgement to the letter. But my license came in the mail a week later. That's huge because they don't here's get that every day. But here's the question. Why did it come in the mail? It's because I participated in my own rescue. Yeah. You have to participate in I your rescue, that. even though the odds were against me, even though it was my fault. I did it. I was guilty. I had to participate in my rescue. I see people who aren't guilty, who won't participate in their own rescue. I see people who hear the word no, and they give up. Yeah instead of participating in their own rescue. So it's like you said, man, I mean, if, if, if I give you fish, I rescued you. If I teach you how to fish, you rescue yourself. Yep, I love that. Thanks for tying it back into my own words. That was slick. Hey, <laughs> so I, so let me ask you this. Um, well, number one, people, I think a lot of times going back to you rescuing yourself and how you did it, I think most people, most people say, I shouldn't have to do that. I am changed. I shouldn't have to. And it's like, you can sit around till you old and 80 years old and gray and say, I shouldn't have had to. 
and nothing good happens for you. But I want to I want to digress a little bit because I'm curious and I think it's important for people to hear this. I think it's important for people to really understand how hard it can be to do the right thing and get on the right track. You you mentioned that you gave your gun to the to the preacher. You mm-hmm. were going to retaliate as a as a guy who grew up not rich by any means. We we're probably lower middle, but with with some with a good life, good good stable family. I wasn't in gangs. I didn't have that that going on. What <laughs> happens when you go back to your friends, go back to My your homies? homies, and you say, yeah. "I'm out, I'm out." Like, you know, do they just go, "Man, good job, good for you, you're the best," and they let it go, or is there is there some strat- static there? Because of who I am, like imagine the character of the fe- the Fresh Prince of Bel Air in high school. Yeah. Like I was that kid. I was I was a class clown. I could get you to laugh. I, you know, the thugs they were my homies. And 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 um, and, and funny enough, I really wasn't the popular bad kid. I was the popular kid. Uh, I was homecoming king, class favorite, most likely to be remembered. And I, I literally, um, <laughs> I really elected myself in all these categories just to see who would vote, and they did vote. That's funny. And, and I'm telling you that to, to, to say this, all of my homeboys, and I want to say all of them, every single one of my homies who were with me when I gave my gun to the preacher, and I'm not exaggerating, all of them would end up going to jail or prison. Really? One of them is still in there. And this is well over 25 years ago. Wow. Um, and I've never gotten any slack from my real homies. And, okay. and, and people who, who were at a distance, they wouldn't be bold enough to come up to, they, they, know, he, they know it's still the same Johnny. Mm-hmm. He's just walking a different path. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I say it like this because where I'm from, I, I wasn't a punk in the streets. I, I'm not a punk in the business world. I wasn't soft. I wasn't weak. I wasn't the guy that, that, that you can just come up and talk crap to. So they, they, they just didn't do it then. I was never in a gang, affiliated with gangs, but I was never in a gang. Mm. So maybe if I was in a gang, even all, all my homeboys were, I, I used to always jokingly say things like this. If I'm going to be in a gang, the gang's going to be called Wimbry. And then the conversation <laughs> just ended. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. All right, man. Well, let's talk about the next pillar because I, I, this one, I, yeah. I, man, I am so sold. I am so 100% behind this. I've seen it in my own life. I get it. Finding a mentor. Why do I need a mentor, man? Oh, man. I figured out there's Google. There's resources. It's the information age. I don't need a mentor. It's all out there for me. Tell me why I need a mentor. You know, uh, again, my favorite book, Ancient Writings, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. In the multitude of counsel, there is safety. That basically means when you have wise counsel around you, people who can hold you accountable, it makes you more safe. This is written thousands of years ago. This is nothing new. So read it backwards. Where there is no counsel, you're in danger. I like to read things forward and backwards. Like what is the riddle behind this proverb, behind this principle? In the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Okay, I get that, that makes sense. But what happens when there's no counsel? That means you're in danger. The danger of you, the danger of listening to your own voice. Johnny would not be Johnny Wimber. You would not know who I am today if I didn't have access to the voices of people like Les Brown people who have really poured into my life, Bishop T.D. Jakes. There are so many individuals, even, you know, Steve Harvey, Grant Cardone. There are so many people that I've allowed to speak into my life. And what I mean by speaking to my life, they hold me accountable. If you have a mentor, 
a mentor is something like, you know, there are many people who are reading the book right now that are calling me their mentor. And the reason they are is because there's exercises in the book and yeah. I hold them accountable in the book and we do a lot of stuff on social media. Well, that does make me, you know, kind of their mentor, but I'm either a mentor just because they read my book. No, I am an influence. I am an advisor, but a mentor is somebody that has access to tell you no. So Mike, if I'm mentoring you or if you're mentoring me in the real estate world and I see a property that I want to buy and I'm excited about this property, I want to flip it. And you say, Johnny, I wouldn't touch that. Now I got to make a decision. Either I listen to my mentor or I listen to my own voice. Either way, it's going to be my responsibility. But if I chose you as my mentor, then that means you get to tell me no. If I walk away from your no, that just means I didn't qualify you as my real mentor. A mentor is someone who has access and they can reach out to you. They can shake the hell out of you if you need to be shook. I love it. I have been shaken by every single one of my mentors. And uh, (laughs) I've had my ass whooped by some of my mentors. I I think a good mentor is not a cheerleader. They can be a cheerleader, but if they're just a cheerleader, they're not a mentor. They're just, you know, your family could be cheerleaders. Everyone wants to see you succeed who loves you. It has to be the people who will be honest with you. What you just said is it. They got to want to see you succeed. You can't mentor anybody unless you have a genuine interest to see them level up in life. Yep. 100%. 100%. I love that, man. I love it. Accountability. You just talked about that. Just mm-hmm. for a second. What, what, does that, what does that mean, accountability? How does that help me? Accountability is something that you can establish without permission. I can, you know, uh, when I was writing this book, I tell the story in the new book, uh, From the Hood to Doing Good. One of my friends named Chris Lloyd, we were in leadership uh, classes together, and we saw each other at least three weeks, uh, three times a week, three or four times every week for several years. We would see each other, and this is during my early 20s, and I'm just really going into leadership. I'm really, really wanting to build myself up, and Chris Lloyd is just one of those guys that's just super positive, right? Um, and he was older than me, and I just looked up to him, and he, hey, Johnny, how's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. What are you working on? Uh, funny you ask. You know, I'm, I'm actually writing a book. And I'm, I'm like 24 years old when I say this. No, I'm 26 years old when I say this. And he said, you're writing a book? And you can just tell that his genuine interest, like his genuine excitement for me. Yeah. And so I was glad I told him that. And, he, and, and, and then um, he would see me again. Johnny, how's the book going? And I'm like, it's going good. This went on for weeks. Johnny, how's the book going? So this accountability already started. Johnny, yeah. how's the book going? How's the book coming? And eventually I just stopped and say, Chris, Stop asking me how the book is going. <laughs> Ask me what page I'm on. Yeah. See, see what I just did? My personality type cannot handle saying the same page every time I see him. Yeah. It, it has to go up. This is just my personality. I cannot accept failure. I cannot look like I'm standing still. I've always been that person. So when he started asking me what page I'm on, then yeah. I finished the book in about two weeks. Yeah, that's pressure. So creating accountability, you don't need permission. If you tell somebody, hey, I want to quit smoking, tell the right person. Tell the person that really has a desire and a passion to see you succeed because you're never going to want to be seen with a cigarette in front of that person. Yep. And if you tell enough people, you basically corner yourself in. You know where to hide. Yeah. Now you're in, now you're basically in in your own personal jail where you can't be seen smoking cigarettes because you, because you told too many people. I love that, man. I love that. I I literally could be on this call with you for hours and go through everyone, but I want to save stuff, (laughs) some stuff for folks who are going to get the book and they can be surprised. But there's a few things that I I, I highlighted and put a little bit more depth into what I want to ask you. And one of them was, man, this is so big. 
I think probably a lot of us fall into this trap. I know I do it and I'm very conscious of it and I still do it sometimes, being busy versus productive, right? Mm. The biggest lie ever told is this, busy means productive. It, um, and, it, and I've seen people literally be in this, be in this, this um, cyclone of being busy for a decade yeah. with no production. Yep. People believe that if I'm doing something, if I, if I feel busy, then I'm going to be productive. No, be productive in where you're headed. You've got to know how to turn things off. I can't, listen, if I say that my desire and my passion is, you know, to, uh, to be a multi-million dollar, um, um, you know, investor when it comes to homes, everything that I do from that point on, I've got to like, like become more laser focused in things that are complementing where I'm going. What I mean by compliment, if I take a step towards something and it has nothing to do with my, you know, my mission yeah. or my goal, even if it's productive in another arena, it's not productive in where I'm headed. Yeah. So busy doesn't mean productive. Busy sometimes can be procrastination. Yep. What do I mean by that? If I say I want to lose weight and I get so busy doing other things that I'm not consciously focused on losing weight anymore. Now I'm busy in, busy in another area that may be productive in this area, but it wasn't where I was headed. Yep. You've got to find things that complement where you're headed. The exercise under that question is very strong in the book. It is very strong because it creates instant accountability. Yeah, and, and by the way, I want to mention that you have action steps and assignments and things at mm -hmm. the end of each chapter, which is so huge because I think sometimes people read books, they go, wow, that chapter is great. They turn the page out of sight, out of mind. There's nothing else yeah. to do. You're giving them something to apply what you're talking mm -hmm. about. And I love that. You also talked about, and we don't have to get deep into it, but streamlining your calendar to make sure your actions line up with priorities. And if I can just real quick, a little bit deconstruct what you said a second ago, being busy and not being productive in the thing that you're trying to accomplish is no good, obviously. But I think that sort of implies that as long, if you're being productive and you're focused on the goals and you're actually making headway and you're productive, it's okay to not be running around like a chicken your head cut off all day long. Right. You don't have to be busy all the time if you're highly productive. And I think some people feel like if they have any downtime, there's guilt and they just start doing stuff to stay busy, but it's not yeah. getting them anywhere. You might as well sit down and let your brain have a break, <laughs> let it refuel so that when you go back to being productive, you have some energy to do that. So I'm extrapolating you know, a little bit, but that's what I got out of it. Some of the most busiest people in the world are groupies. Like you, you don't miss events. Yep. You, you know, you're, you're, you're sold out to this one personality and you're so busy learning this individual because they make you excited or they compliment who you are. Yep. And you're so busy being a groupie that you don't even realize there's a show going on. Yep. Exactly. Because you're in, you're, you know, because you have, you know, maybe you have backstage access and, and there's a danger in that. There's a yeah. danger in becoming, um, you know, just becoming immune to greatness. Yeah. I'll tell you what, there's something else I pulled out of the book that it might be my favorite part of the book because I'm so huge on this. And it's you said, people's number one regret is that they didn't take more risks. Taking mm. risks takes a moment, but not taking that risk becomes a lifestyle that leads to regret. I love that. 
I couldn't agree more. Wow. And I think it's something that people underestimate until it's kind of, quote, too late. It's never too late, yeah. but until it, it's sort of later on in life. It's funny that you would pick that that one line because I remember studying that for the first time. I, 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 I remember, maybe I was like 25 years old, so it was 20 years ago. And I remember there was a study on um, elderly people on their deathbed. And, um, and I talk about it in the book, obviously, but I just go into depth with it because when I heard this, I was just stepping into entrepreneurialism on a whole nother level. Yeah. So I was studying and I would hear people quote things. The number one regret for elderly people on their deathbed was they wish they would have taken more risk. And it, I didn't get it. It, it just, I, I, it, it kind of pissed me off because it sounded good, but I didn't get it. I'm like, why? Yeah. And then I started thinking to myself, and the more mature I get, the more the more revelation I have on this answer, actually. Yeah. And I started thinking to myself, well, taking a risk is only a moment. Not taking a risk becomes a lifestyle. So when you be, when you are that person that habitually never takes risk, you're going to be that person on the deathbed saying, I wish I would have taken more risk. And listen, these elderly people have no reason to lie. They're not yeah. going home. <laughs> There's nothing They're in answering it for them. a yeah. question based on their life. They're not leaving. They're not going home. So why would they lie about that? If the number one answer to that question was they wish they would have taken more risk, what do you want your number one regret to be? At, at least take risk because it's only a moment. Not taking risk becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. And to your point, taking that risk is a, it's a muscle, right? Doing something that's uncomfortable right. is a muscle that you exercise. Um, the, the, the Pillar 8 spoke to me too, and I, and I love this one. And I think your background, and, and I'll, frankly, other people's backgrounds who's listening to this, it, it applies to you quite heavily, is realizing someone else's mentality is not your reality, right? I think that speaks yeah. to your upbringing. I think it speaks to the people that you choose to surround yeah. yourself with, maybe early in life. Like, what they feel like is the reality of life or what's happening with them or what they can accomplish or what they think is important doesn't have to rule you. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, listen, man, in every industry, we have influencers that are out there and you have to be able to distinguish what voice is designed for you to listen to. And that's why we have the exercise yep. where, you know, you're not going to be perfect in this area all the time, but at least you become to a, you, you get to a point where you program yourself to be so conscious that when the voice of interruption comes, the voice of destruction, you identify that one immediately. You may have to like comb through and say, ah, this voice, it sounds good, but I don't know if they're in my best interest. When you really, really understand, you know, that you're in the driver's seat, you get to drive the vehicle that's going to take you to where you want to go. But having the power to, you know, to, of, of discernment, to be able to make these decisions in the now, it just keeps you in that pilot seat. And, and I want you to re-ask re the question because the way you worded it, I like it. And I want to answer it the way you worded it. So I, what I said was, it, to me, the, what you're talking about is the people that you grew up with, the people you choose to surround yourself with in life, what they think is possible for them, yeah. how they see the world cannot and should not be how you see the world and what you think is possible for you. Yeah. And I'll just say real quick, the reason why I love this is, again, I, I grew up in a very normal, average upbringing. However, you know, within that, people might look, some people look at that and go, wow, you're so lucky. And then other people look at it and go, how limiting was, because it took me 
not in my 20s, it wasn't until my late 30s that I was able to what I call break out of the gravitational pull of mediocrity that I was born into. And my parents are great. Mm. They're loving. They're good people. I'm not putting them down. But what I'm saying is, for me, the plan and the goal was I would, I would grow up. I would go to high school, maybe go to college if I want. But the ultimately, what they wanted me to do is get a union job. Again, I'm from Michigan, right? Automotive Same. industry. Yeah. They wanted me to get a union job, and after that, they didn't care. And you work right. seven hours a day, twelve hours, or I'm sorry, 12, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, if possible. And you get that union job. You work until you're sixty-five. You retire and die. Like that was yeah. the plan. And for me to get that, and I was in that groove and that gravitational pull. So for me to think about entrepreneurialism, to get out of that, to be my own boss to have my own company, to make a million dollars. That wasn't even, that was other people. And it was hard to get out of that because their mentality became mine. That's what I grew up in. And and, and, and there's a huge danger in that. And it's very, very common in all of our lives. What's not common is to be conscious. Like being conscious when you have conversations. Um, You know, friend or foe, I talk about this in the book. You know, a friend is a person, place, or thing that's going to push you towards your destiny or your goals. A foe, an F-O-E is a, O-E is a person, place, or thing that's going to pull you away yeah. from your goals. So yeah. allowing somebody else's opinion to become your reality could be pulling you away from your goals, and that's a foe, a person, place, or thing, not just a person. If I say I want to quit drinking, you know, me walking into a bar is a foe. Yeah. And once I walk in there, I know for a fact other opinions are going to outweigh my reality because I threw myself in the fire. You don't have to throw yourself in the fire in the midst of being hungry for where you're headed in life. And and that's why I love this podcast. I love shows like this because I inundate myself with information like this to interrupt the thinking of other individuals. You can't allow somebody else's thinking to become your reality because your DNA, like your thumbprint, you're the only person on the planet that has this. So you have to understand somebody else's opinion becoming your reality could literally change the DNA or thumbprint that you were designed to put on this planet. Totally. I love that, man. Pillar 16, we don't have to get into it, but I love it. I want to mention it because it's so important in my life too. Executing instead of excusing. Man, I call him, <laughs> a friend of mine, uh, Justin, uh, told me one time, he referred to people as yeah butters, meaning they ask you for advice or they say, hey, I want to do this thing. And you go, hey, here's what I suggest. You know, you came to me for advice. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, that it mm-hmm. doesn't work that way in my state. Or yeah, but I can't because, oh my God, man, I hear yeah that butters. It's like the first thing they're out of their <laughs> mouth is yeah, but, right? Yeah. You know, Johnny, you were successful. Let me tell me what you did. This is what I did. Yeah, but you're, you right. know, it's different, right? It's like, it's such, it's so <laughs> you annoying. Know, if, if I pull out a, a, a piece of paper right now, and let's say this piece of paper is the slate of information that you need to, to, to be successful in life, and you start, you know, and, and I give you the piece of paper, and I say, hey, listen, this is the roadmap, and you chose me as your mentor. You chose me. I didn't choose. And these are people who pay me to mentor them. People pay me and argue with me, right? Yeah. I'm giving you this paper, this clean, sh- uh, clean slate, if you will. And you say, yeah, but, well, you just cut a corner of the piece of paper. Yep. Like that, that, that entire one sheet of paper is opportunity for the rest of your life. And you say, yeah, but, well, you cut a piece. You don't notice that you cut a piece because the paper is still large. Right. But when you become a habitual corner cutter, 
the same piece of paper that you could you had to hold in two hands to, to hold it up like this. Eventually, you'd be able to hold it with with just just squeezing your fingers and a little bitty piece of paper. Why? Because years went by and you cut corners. You want what I have in life, but but it's a yeah, but right. Johnny, I want what you have, but listen, this is what Les Les Brown told me this. I and this is a this is for real for real. I Les Brown invited me to to, uh, to come see him speak one day at at my middle school that I went to my sixth grade school. And he said, Johnny, I'm coming to your city. You know, do you know what the, you know, the name of the school? I was like, yeah, I went there. He's like, I'm speaking there tomorrow. You want to join me? I'll put you on stage. I'm like, yeah, I'll come with you. And I remember walking down the hallway and, um, and just me and Les were talking and, 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 and he, and he said, man, you know, he would say things like Johnny, there's something different about you. You have a heart for people. You're not just a, a great speaker. You actually care about people. And you have to understand that makes you unique. It actually made me sad when he said it. I was like, you care about be caring about people is unique. Like I thought all of us cared about people. Right. right. And, and, and I said, I know less, I know, you know, in this, I was writing my book from the hood to doing good. He actually did the forward on, he did the forward on both of my books actually. Um, and he would say, well, Johnny, you know, your voice is just bigger than speaking in schools and, and speaking in prisons. Like you're a millionaire. You can show people how to become successful. And I was like, I know, but, and, and he was like, why did you say, but, he said, you know, I, I really, Les, I really have a desire to speak all over the world. You know, I want to do what you do. And, and, I, and, and, I, and I said, but. And I said, when people start figuring out I'm, I have a felony arrest and in my background and all the bad decisions I made as a youth, they're not going to listen to me. He said, Johnny, that's why they are going to listen to you. Yeah. They're going to listen to you because of what you've been through. Yep. I said, Les, I, I want that, but. And he literally, I remember like it was yesterday. He said, Johnny, if you continue to argue for your limitations, I'm going to let you keep them. He was saying to me, if I said, but one more time, he was done working with me. It scared the hell out of me. It shook me. So I'm not better than people who say, but I just had a mentor to shake me to the point where I was afraid to interrupt his coaching anymore. Yep. That's, I love it, man. I love it. You you mentioned your kids. I want to bring this back full circle that you yeah. don't want to raise a bunch of tri-babies, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to banish your inner tri-baby as pillar number yeah. 17. I tried my best. Uh, those kind of those kind of comments. I, I, I have a, a daughter that does that to me a lot. I'll say, hey, can you do this? She'll say, I'll try. And, I, yeah. and it drives me crazy. And this chapter is great because it's going to How really help me speak to her. She's 25 now. but You know what's crazy? I guarantee you she never said try when she was five. I guarantee you, if you looked no. at her and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. She would look you right in the eye. I'm going to be an astronaut. dude. 100%. I'm going to be the president. 100%. I'm going to be a doctor. Yep. They don't understand try. They, yep. We have to introduce them to the word try. Try, is, try doesn't even exist in some languages. Very few languages can translate the word try because it doesn't have a value. It's like, I'm going to try to talk on this microphone. No, you either do or you don't. Like right. Yoda even told us, you either <laughs> exactly. do, you do or not. you don't. Yeah. Like I can't say, hey, I'm going to try to open these bag of mixed nuts. No, there is no try. You either do it or you don't. So the language in our house is you're going to do your best. I do my best. And the backfire, funny part of it is I could tell my son who's nine years old. Um, oh, God, he's he, he he's like a... a <laughs> He's pretty hard with it. He's, he's hard on people when they say the word try just because of he doesn't understand that it's, you know, it's okay when people, they're not bad people when they say right. try. And, he'll, and I'll say, hey, you know, try this food. 
no, daddy, I'm going to do my best to eat this food. I'm like, okay, I get your point. <laughs> but it's our, the programming is already starting yeah. in my family that we get rid of words that don't have value because, you know, subconsciously your brain doesn't know how to turn off yeah. when you listen to things, yeah. I like when you're that. experiencing things. I like that. I think honestly, my generation, I'll blame my generation because <laughs> I'm generation X. I think the, the problem is we started rewarding kids purely for effort, right? Oh God. And I, and I think effort's important, but we started yeah. actually awarding effort, right? Like literally the, awards and the medals the, hey, and listen. trophies. The participation yeah. trophy generation yeah. is among us right now. I know. And and my I generation did that, but you're right. My daughter didn't Think say about cry it. when she was little. This yeah, this is our generation. Like they are among us right now. The generational tro- the the, the, the uh, generation trophy, trophy generation, participation just to get a trophy. Yeah. I would say these are the parents raising those kids yeah. right now yeah. and they're becoming adults. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that have so much like level of, 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 you know, this is supposed to happen to me. Yeah. You know, I'm supposed to get this. No, yeah. no, you work, you work to get what you want in life. And, and I, I believe that the trophy generation uh, will reveal themselves in a way we can't even predict. It's yeah. going to be dangerous. Yeah, it is. It is a little scary. Listen, man, like I said, I, I could literally spend all day with you going through the book and deconstructing Likewise. because I think it's valuable. Uh, I love the way you present it, and it, it's very actionable. The book is super actionable, which I think sets it apart from other books that people might have read where you read Thank it you. and you close it and you just go to the next book. This yeah. one yeah. makes you put it into practice, and I think that's and, so practical. And you know, there's one thing about this book. that The number one thing that I heard about this book is – I loaned it to somebody, Johnny, and, and they never brought it back, which is a compliment. It's <laughs> yeah, a huge compliment. But I wanted to write a book that nobody would let anybody borrow. Yeah. I wanted everybody to have to buy their own. So like, when, once you put your name in this book, you are never going to let somebody borrow it because it's almost like your diary. It's, it's you. Yeah. Like This is your book. Yeah. Your information starts to get into this book and you fall in love with it. It becomes yeah. your guide. And I wrote it in the mindset... I don't want anybody ever to give this book away. I want people to have this book and, you know, like Think and Grow Rich. I wanted to write the new Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, listen, thank you for your time. Guys, go out and get it. Building a Millionaire Mindset. It just came out. It's a number one book on Amazon. I'm reading it. I can endorse it. I love it. I love having you on the show and I appreciate your time again. Thank you for agreeing. Let's do it again. All right, man. I'll take you up on that. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. All right. God bless, brother. Thanks. All right, guys, I hope you loved that interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Johnny. What a great guy. There's very few books that I go and buy the hard copy. I listen to Audible a lot. I love Audible. I love that for the convenience, and I'm always on the go, so it's helpful for me to be able to listen to a book. But this book is one that you have to get physically because there are exercises and assignments and things that you can do and should do at the end of each chapter. And I'm telling you, I, I will endorse this book. It's a great book. And Johnny is is an inspirational guy with a background that wasn't easy, guys. We all have reasons to make excuses. And he had plenty of reasons to make excuses. And it just goes to show that you can do this. Anybody can do what they want to do. Anyone can have the lifestyle that they want. For some people, it's a little harder. I get that. I'm not saying it's not, but it's it's not impossible, right? Johnny's a motivational guy. His book is motivational. That's what he's trying to do is help you get that right mindset. But motivation without execution is really useless. He's helping you execute in the book 
I'm encouraging you to go out there right now and execute. Go take this inspiration and do something with it now before the momentum is gone. Make today the day that you look back on, someday when you're old and gray, and you say, that was the day that I changed everything for myself, and I'm glad I did it. Thank you, younger me, for having the courage to take the action. Make that day today, guys, not tomorrow, today. All right, we'll talk to you next time.